you join me in praying? Father, as we spend a few moments in your word together, will you please open our hearts and minds to receive? I know we all come with different things that we are thinking about, things that are weighing on us. Lord, I pray in these moments that your spirit would clear through whatever it is that would stand in the way, or if what we need to hear today speaks directly to the things that we're struggling with, that we would be open to you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Tony Ludlow was like most eighth grade boys. He did not care that much for English class. And when his teacher in the spring of his eighth grade year decided to do a long unit on poetry, he really began to hate his class. His grades began to reflect that, and so his teacher, Mrs. Harmon, told him he had to stay after class, after school, on numerous days. And it began to impact his sports, and he grew to not only hate English and poetry, but also Mrs. Harmon. And so, one day when they were talking, he said, I just don't understand this poetry stuff, and I'm a boy. Boys don't like poetry. Poetry is about daffodils and dandelions and unicorns. What does that have to do with anything? And so, she gave him a book, marked at a particular spot, and she said, I want you to take this home and read it. This was on Monday. She said, on Friday, I want you to tell me what it's about. It was Ulysses. He took it home, he read it, and it began a complete change in his life. He began to read poetry that wasn't all about daffodils and unicorns and dandelions. And it impacted his life so much that today he reads seven poems a day. He went on to double major in history and English He joined the Marines and spent 10 years there, came back and became a high school history teacher. It completely changed how he saw things. What happens when God steps in and asks us to see life differently? What could the impact be if we listened? That's what happens today. So as our passage opens up, and I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 6. You'll find the Pew Bibles right in front of you. Luke chapter 6 is on page 1468 of that Bible. Luke chapter 6, and we're beginning in verse 17. Jesus believed something profound that fundamentally shaped how he viewed life. Verse 17, he went down with them and he stood on a level place. And a large crowd of disciples were there, 
and a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. There's probably three groups. His closest disciples, a larger group of disciples or followers, plus others who have come out. They had come to hear him, and we know from other parts of the gospel he preaches with authority and people listen and the crowds gather. We saw it last week. And to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. People all tried to touch him because power was coming out of him and healing everybody. This is what is normal in the ministry of Jesus. And it is what he started his ministry with. And it is what he fundamentally believes. And here it is. The kingdom of God is a reality that is present and working. And it shapes everything Jesus does. When he starts his ministry, his first message, repent and believe the good news of the kingdom of God. That's how he starts. He goes into a synagogue in Nazareth and he opens a scroll and he reads from Isaiah and he reads about healing and people receiving sight and prisoners being set free. And then he rolls the scroll up and he says, this is being fulfilled today in your hearing because that was his ministry. So that when John the Baptist gets thrown into prison and he's rotting there, And he sends his own disciples to Jesus to say, are you really the one? Because things are not looking like I thought they would look. And Jesus says, go back and tell John. The blind are receiving their sight. Prisoners are being set free. Because the ministry of Jesus was all about the kingdom bringing peace and healing and freedom and transforming lives. Jesus fundamentally believed that the kingdom was here And it was working. So that when you see this stuff happening here, this is what Jesus thought was going to happen. And it's what he preached, and it's what you saw in his ministry. And this idea that power was coming out of him. He fundamentally believed the kingdom was here, and the kingdom was working. And belief is really powerful. Do you know... That whatever you believe, whether it's true or false, it impacts how you live. It impacts how you respond to situations. It impacts how you deal with challenges in your life. How you make decisions. What you believe, whether you are conscious of it or not, whether it's true or false, it still impacts what you do. Belief is really powerful. And the first question we need to ask is what do you fundamentally believe? Jesus believed the kingdom was here and was real and was active and it impacted everything else. What you believe impacts how you live. When my oldest son was about three years old. He got a boo-boo. We all know that kids get boo-boos. And when they get boo-boos, what do moms do? They give kisses to make them feel better. Now, my wife is actually a doctor, 
And on a particular day when he got this boo-boo, she was even wearing scrubs. And he got a boo-boo, and she called him over, and she told him he, she was a doctor and she was going to make it better. And so she kissed his boo-boo, at which point my son cried out for a lady who was helping us watch our kids, Allison, Allison, I need a real doctor. My mommy thinks kissing will make it better. But how many kids believe that kissing the boo-boo will make it better? And moms, how many times has kissing the boo-boo made it better? Because what we believe has a significant impact in our lives. In 2021, at Harvard Medical School, they're doing they were doing studies on placebos. And what they were studying is the impact positively of placebos. You know, we think of them as, well, you're the person that didn't get the real thing. But here's what the studies were showing. Placebos cannot cure cancer like chemotherapy can. However, placebos were shown to help with pain management, insomnia, stress. There are all kinds of things. They were helping with the other aspects of treatment that were side effects. Because when people believed they were getting help, it was impacting how they were actually feeling. Our beliefs are significantly powerful, whether they're real or not, whether they're true or not. Jesus fundamentally believed the kingdom was here and it was working. And because of that, he went on to say what I think is at a minimum weird, but if we're being honest, it could even be offensive. Let's take his words seriously for a moment. Knowing that in this room right now, I'm 99.9% .9 sure none of you live on the streets. You all have a home. Probably nobody in here thinks to themselves, where am I going to get my next meal? And yet, listen to what Jesus says and just let it impact you. And, and, and think about the imagery. So here is the power of God coming out of Jesus. All these people are being healed. He has crowds of people. And instead of focusing on that power and what's happening, he does this. Looking at his disciples, blessed are you who are poor. Yours is the kingdom of God, present. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied, future. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And, and just look at verse 23. Rejoice in that day. I don't know that I have ever rejoiced in being hated or excluded or insulted or rejected. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And here is where it gets uncomfortable. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. 
Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. I'm going to be very upfront with you. Sometimes I don't like the Bible. And I especially don't like when the lectionary puts you in passages like this and wants you to teach them. Because if we're taking this seriously, here's what it sounds like. Those of you that know where your next meal is coming from, woe to you. You're in trouble. Woe to you when people speak well of you. But when people hate you, when you're on the streets, when you don't laugh but you just weep, you are blessed. You should weep. You should leap for joy. That does not sound... Let me, let me place it in a different context. I want you to imagine for a moment that I brought LeBron James up here. And as LeBron is standing, as LeBron is standing here, I tell you this. LeBron is worth an estimated $500 million dollars. He makes somewhere around $5 million a month between his salary and his endorsements. He makes $500,000 for every basketball game he plays. Just think about that. How long will it take you to make $500,000? This guy, most people who look at LeBron and are looking at his finances believe that within the next four to ten years, he'll be a billionaire. He did not go to college. Now, imagine on this side, I went out on the streets of Rock Island, and I grabbed somebody out of a cardboard box, and I brought them up here, and I said, and stood them right here. Which life do you want? This is really a strange, harsh teaching. And if we are to take it seriously, we do have to figure it out. Because without punting on this, it is clear that Jesus wasn't against everybody who had money. You know, the most famous is the tax collector who gave half of what he had distorted from, taken, just taken from everybody, extorted from everybody. That's the word I was looking for. We know that there were some wealthy women who traveled with Jesus and supported his ministry. And I don't think he ever said, yeah, you guys aren't going into heaven. You're you're finished because you have money. But we do need to know what in the world is he talking about. And I believe, number one, it starts with that premise. The kingdom of God is real and active. And Jesus believed it, because do you know that Jesus was rejected and insulted? Jesus was abused. He was poor. He is the one who said, I have no place to lay my head. So it's clear that he actually lived this kind of thing, and you know what it did not result in? Bitterness, anger, revenge. Jesus wasn't out going after the people who did that to him. Jesus never turned on the Father and said, you know what, I'm your son and I gave up everything and you don't even give me a place to lay my head, I have to sleep on the ground? Why? Because he actually believed that the kingdom of God was working. 
he actually believed that those who are hungry now will be satisfied, that those who weep now will laugh. He actually believed that while today there are some that may find satisfaction in this life, when they have no connection to God, when they have no dependence on God, that is all they have. This life. Now, fundamentally, let me ask you this. Do you believe in eternity? Because if you do, it really doesn't compare to this life. The 50, 70, 100, whatever number of years we have, which I want to enjoy mine. And I believe God gave us a beautiful, wonderful world. I want to enjoy that too. I want to enjoy my family and my kids and my friends and my church and everything. And yet... Whatever I have here compared to what is to come, in the words of St. Paul, it doesn't compare. And Jesus believed that, which means he could focus on doing the work of the kingdom no matter if he laid his head on the ground. Now, here's what I think is the primary difference, and I'm, I'm conjecturing a little bit, but this is what I think the primary difference is between the two. One is dependent and one is not. One knows their dependency on God. One is looking to God all the time. One relies upon God for their life. The other does not. The other finds their satisfaction in what they have earned and what they have already. And to be frank, they don't think they need God. And sometimes I fall into that category because it's easy to. I do not think about where my next meal is coming from. I don't think about whether I'll have a warm place to sleep. So we're having an issue right now with our upstairs furnace. It goes out about once a week. And I get up in the morning and I go in to get the baby and his room is cold because the furnace went out. But you know what? Our bottom stairs furnace still works. And so does the fireplace and the house is just fine even though the furnace went out. I don't think about freezing. I don't have to. But you know what that also means? If I'm not careful, I don't have to think much about God either. Because so much of my life is okay. But you know what? When I'm poor and hungry and weeping and people are hating me and excluding me and rejecting me, then, God, I need you. But the thing is, we always need him. Because there's so many things we cannot control even when our lives are going well. If we actually stopped and evaluated our lives and went, all right, so I don't have to look for my next meal. But how many things can I not control? You cannot control COVID or cancer. You cannot control the person that's driving near you. You cannot control what happens when your kids are getting older. You cannot control what a neighbor might do. You cannot control your job. We can always do our best. And it may be unlikely that you get laid off, but you might. There is so much we don't control. And so even for those of us who may not be poor and hungry, we still should be dependent because there's so much in life we cannot control. However, the kingdom of God is real and we can rely on that. This is what I would tell you out of this passage. Number one, learn daily dependence on God. Because you cannot control as much as you think you can. 
learn daily dependence. Every day, maybe it's a reminder to yourself. Maybe it's part of your prayer life. Maybe it's an evaluation of the things that are going on in your life. But remember, we need him. We need God in our lives. Remember that dependence. I, I read this story of a dad who his wife didn't have the greatest taste buds. And so apparently he had to make things either really sweet or really spicy, but he had to really raise the level of flavor for everything that he made for her. And he was responsible for the cooking. And so one day he was making sandwiches for his daughters. He had two girls and his wife was going to end up having an early morning shift. And so he also made a sandwich for her to take to work with her. But on her sandwich, he put what they called the dab. Apparently on YouTube, they teach you how to make a hot sauce that is so ridiculously hot, it feels like your body is on fire. And so he spread that, slathered it all over his wife's ham sandwich. And then got everybody to their respective places. At 11.30 that morning, he got a call from his daughter's school. She was in the nurse's office. She had been throwing up. And she was a mess, and he immediately knew what he had done. He had given his daughter a radioactive ham sandwich. We do not control nearly as much as we think we control, even something as simple as remembering which ham sandwich goes to which child. Um, there was a comment that was made on that that I thought was great. This was in a Yahoo article, and so lots of people commented. And somebody wrote down, that has to be amazing for his daughter. Could you imagine holding that over his head? She comes home after curfew. You're late! Oh yeah? Remember that sandwich that almost killed me? <laughs> Thought, oh, I hope I never do that. <laughs> My kids will hold it over me forever. We cannot control as much as we think we can. Learn daily dependence on God. Number two, learn to rejoice in the reality of the kingdom of God. Because life is going to knock you upside the head, whether you like it or not. And we have options. We have the options to be bitter and angry. We have the options to seek revenge. We have the options to spiral into depression and guilt. We also have the option to remember that the kingdom of God is real. And that God can take anything going on in our lives and use it for good. Use it for his kingdom. No matter how it feels. And I know it feels like crud sometimes. And I know this is not easy. But this is part of the fundamental belief of Jesus. The kingdom of God is actually working. So when things go wrong, it doesn't turn Jesus to those things. It turns him to the Father. When things go wrong, he looks for the way in which even the wrong is doing something for the kingdom. Learn to rejoice in the reality of the kingdom. It doesn't change, even as our circumstances do. And lastly, learn to care for what God cares about. Yesterday, I had the privilege of going to the annual luncheon for Humility Homes and Christian Care, two organizations in the Quad Cities that work with the homeless to get their lives better. Whether you like it, love it, or don't care, God cares about the poor and the widow and the orphan and the challenged and the prisoner. And you can see it from 
all the way through the Old Testament and through the New, even in this passage, learn to care about what God cares about. He cares about that person in the cardboard box. We should too. And that doesn't mean you need to like give up everything or like invite them to go live in your house with you. Honestly, I don't know what it means for you. That's between you and God, you and your spouse. But it does mean we shouldn't overlook the people that God cares about. When we move into Lent, we're going to have an opportunity as a church, actually two opportunities, to put that into practice as part of our walk with the Lord. Learn daily dependence on God. Learn to rejoice in the reality of the kingdom. Learn to care about what God cares about. On the last day of his eighth grade year, Mrs. Harmon went around the room to every student and she shook their hand and congratulated them. But Henry Ludlow said she stopped at his desk and she bent over and she whispered this to him. I expect great things from you. And he said nobody had ever expected great things from him. And it wasn't just that things changed when he realized that poetry was far more than he thought it was. It was when somebody believed in him and believed he could do something. Right now, I think what Jesus would whisper to everybody is, I have great things for you. Will you trust me, depend on me, and realize that my kingdom is real? I have great things for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement and the challenge and the inspiration. Thank you for the ways that it can help facilitate change in our lives. Lord, let us surrender to the work of the Spirit and let us move forward as your people. In Jesus' holy name, amen.